All right, Rabbi good morning. Let us, let us begin. The beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning's share. To thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Elul. Shanti and Avram Kelman for dedicating all the Shurim and Drushals this month in honor of Yechiel's engagement. To Alana Falik and the memory of their parents, Jerome and Bernice Kelman, and Alexander and Frederica David Zichronim Livracha. To thank Barak Maya Sandy Hoffman, Dora Limas, and Avi Malamid for dedicating the Shurim and Drushals this month in memory of Ruven Ben Emanuel Zichronim Livracha. To thank Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Sherman Drushals this month in the Zchusabarafushlim of Farshulamis Bas Susha. And in the merit of her continued health. The Dafyomi Shir for dedicating the Shurim this month, the Shalima for Yehuda Ben Michal. We thank Howard Friedman for dedicating our day of learning in commemoration of the yard site of his father, Shalom Ben Hillel Tzvi, Zichron Libracha. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshamo Haven Aliyah, and the family Enochama. Rabosi, with that, let us begin. A lot to do today, Baruch Hashem but really some exceptionally magnificent and incredible Gemara ahead. So we'll say we are picking up. I'm sorry. Today's daf is Samech Beis 62. And we are picking up a Yerat Hashem on Samech Aleph Amud Beis 61b at the first wide line. So like I said, a lot, a lot to do today, but a Yerat Hashem, we will, uh, we, will, we will get the job done. So remember again, the Mishnah said, she said, even if a woman... Brought one, one first wide line, 61b. Even if a woman bought, brought 100 maidservants into the marriage, nevertheless, Rabbi Ezra says she has to do something. Because if she is just idle, so idleness ultimately leads to immorality, to promiscuity. So it says, So Rav Malkio said in the name of Rav Adabar Ava that the halacha follows Rabbi Eliezer. She put Shvachos the Gumos Rav Malkio, Beloris Efer Makla Ugvina Rav Malkio. She will say, interestingly enough, we have two different opinions in the Gemara, one by the name of Rav Malkio, and one by the name of Rav Malkio. So the Gemara says the halachos concerning Shiput, we're not going to get into these, we're not going to get into these halachos right now, but the halachos of Shiput, Shvachos, and Gumos. Those are all, those all go according to Rav Malkio. And the halachos of Beluris, which is like the type of haircut that idolaters used to have. Efer, Makla, and Gavino, all follow of Malkio. So Gemara says, how do you remember that? That Papa Amar Masnisin u Masnisa Rav Malkio. Shmaisisa Rav Malkio. The very, way to, the very easy way to remember this is as follows. Masnisin Mishnayis and Masnisa Brysos go according to Rav Malkio. And then ultimately, again, Shmaisisa, which means, again, statements by Amoraim, those go according to Rav Malkiyo. And the way to remember that is Visimamich Masnisa Malkisa. The way to remember it is the Masnisa Mishnayis go according to the Malkisa. Literally, again, the queen, which is, again, the queen being a reference over here, Ultimately, again, to Rav Malkiyo. So, my Benai, I will say, what's the Nafkamina between these approaches? So, say, so again, the only, the only point of contention might be ultimately, again, who is the author of this particular statement regarding maidservants. Okay, Rav Shimon So, what Rav Shimon says? Now, remember, Rav Shimon says at the end of the Mishnah, he seems to quote the same exact idea. He says that even if she brings in a whole bunch of maidservants, 
ultimately, again, she still has to do something. But his lashon is because idleness brings to shiamum. Shiamum means like insanity. So says the Gemara, I don't understand. So Shimon and Lila seeing the same thing as Rabbi Eliezer. In other words, they're both saying that even if a woman has enough of a staff to free her from all domestic responsibility, she still has to do something. Again, I will say, I want to point out, this is not a din in a woman. This is a din in people. People can't be idle. The best thing in life is to be busy. The busier you are, the better, the better off you are in life. Too much free time, hobbies, this, that. Hobbies are nice. At the end of the day, work. Work and work harder. Find something meaningful to sink your teeth into. Because if a person is idle, a person is not occupied at all times, most of us don't do well with large chunks of unstructured time. So the Gemara says over here, so at the end of the day, they seem to be saying the same thing, to which the Gemara says, Hainutanakama. So again, Rashimil is saying the same thing as Rabbi Eliezer. It's actually very interesting. Ika Benaihu Dimitalala Biguraisa Katnaisa Vinish Vinid Rashir. I will say the Nakamina could be the following situation of a woman who has a puppy. Right? Puppies, right? That, that's the Lashon over here of Guraisa Kitnaisa. Ultimately, again, she's busy with puppies, right? Or, sorry, Nidarshir are games. Are games. Look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, She plays with little dogs. Here's what's interesting. You see, insanity, the concern about insanity only comes about if Mamish are occupied with nothing. With nothing. So in this case, if she has puppies or she has a board game, is she occupied with nothing? No. She's occupied. The problem is promiscuity is a concern when you're not occupied constructively. I will say such an incredible usode. So is playing with puppies, is playing with puppies and board games considered to be constructive engagement? No. I will say, by the way, interesting. See, playing with puppies is not considered to be constructive engagement. It's just another raya in my long list of Talmudic raya. So I will say, in any event, the point that I will say, this is actually quite, it's actually quite fascinating. In other words, so what the Gemara is suggesting is like this. Rav Shimonam Liel is nervous about like what he calls insanity. Okay, going out of your mind. Rabbi Eliezer is concerned about immorality. So the fear of insanity is staved off as long as a person is engaged. In other words, the insanity piece, and insanity probably is a little bit too strong of a word, but the insanity piece is a concern if like you're just doing nothing. If you're just staring into space, that's when we're concerned, you're gonna lose your mind. Okay, so doing anything, doing anything addresses that fear. Immorality, it's really incredible. The concern of getting lured into immorality is not a concern of a person being unengaged. The concern of immorality is, if I'm not doing something constructive with my life, there's nothing to pull me away from the other things that lure me towards them. I would say, such an incredible usode. In other words, that like the pull towards promiscuity is something that human beings, all, all of us, all of us, people in different ways, but everyone contends with at some way, at some stage in life. The only way to save myself from that is to know that I'm engaged in something constructive, something meaningful. Because if I'm doing something meaningful with my life, then at the end of the day, why would I want to derail a life of meaning? By engaging in something promiscuous, by engaging in something immoral. Masha'in came, if I'm not engaged constructively, even if I'm engaged, but it's not constructive, there's nothing to pull me away 
from those other forces that seek to derail me. It's such an incredible yisod that the only way to really combat immorality, promiscuity, and that push and pull that, that many of us experience in different ways is to make sure that not just I'm engaged, but I'm engaged constructively in a life of meaning. Incredible. An interesting case. A man makes a nether. A man makes a nether. So we'll say, literally the way it translates is, a man makes a nether prohibiting his wife to to, to, to intimacy. Now we'll say, Rashi points out over here, it can't be that he's making a nether saying, I hereby prohibit tashmishamita on you. I would say, why? Because remember, again, ona, so physical intimacy is one of the things that a husband is obligated to go ahead and provide his wife with. And the mice, again, according to many opinions, we said that's a daraisa. So making a tenai that a husband is not going to be intimate with his wife is masna amasha kasuvatora. It is making a tenai that runs, con- a condition that runs contrary to biblical law. And such a tenai often is, not often, such a tenai is batal. So therefore, Rashi points out, it must be that the nedra over here is he's saying, I hereby prohibit upon myself the pleasure of, of intimacy. So he's, so in other words, I'm not prohibiting anything on you, I'm prohibiting it on myself. So that such a nedra ultimately, again, can go ahead and actually work. So says, here's the shayla. How long, how long could such a nedra be in effect and ultimately, again, a marriage still be sustainable? So if he makes a nether up to two weeks, in other words, you can make a husband can make a nether, husband can make a nether for up to two weeks that he's not going to be intimate with his wife. Okay, more than two weeks, ultimately he'd have to divorce her and pay her out her ksuba because it's not fair to her. That's not that's not a marriage. Hillel says one week. Now we'll say obviously no one is encouraging this type of nether. It's wrong. So any time that intimacy is used as a tool, right, as a tool to, to kind of as leverage it again from one spouse to the other is never a correct thing in a, in a Jewish man, a healthy marriage. But the so they're asking technically, how long could such a, how long could such a nether be in effect without Chazal telling us we need to dissolve this marriage? So Beis Shammai says, up through two weeks. Beis Hillel says, Beis Hillel says one week. Well, so if you look at Rashi, Rashi says the first one line, Beis Shammai, Tamtin, if you made the nether for the duration of two weeks, fine, they can stay in the marriage. But more than two weeks, So if the husband made the nether for more than two weeks, then ultimately he needs to divorce her and pay her out her ksuva. one week. So the Gemara says, here we go. So now that we've spoken about this idea of, of a nether precluding intimacy, the Gemara, the Mishnah seeks out other circumstances which could also preclude intimacy. For example, Hatamidim Yotzin Latamu Torah Shalom Bershos Shloshim Yom. Tamidim Chachamim can leave their homes without their wife's permission to go and learn Torah in a different city for up to 30 days. So again, I will say this is in a very specific situation. So Talmud Chachamim could go, leave home without permission for up to 30 days. Hapoalim. So I will say, so now, interestingly enough, now the Gemara says, so just understand what's driving this. What's driving this now is a discussion regarding the chiv of Ona. Ona, as we said before, is a husband's obligation to be intimate with his wife. As we're going to see, so now the shayla is, 
how often is a husband obligated to be intimate with his wife? Well, we're going to see that the core obligation is fundamentally dependent on what a person does for a living. So the Gemara says, for example, so this is just by the Apollon, workers are permitted to go ahead and go away from home for one week at a time. So remember again, there's like, there's going to be three sets of halachas over here. Halacha number one is when a husband makes a neder, prohibiting himself from being intimate with his wife. How long can you have such a neder in effect before we force the dissolution of the marriage? Beishamai, two weeks. Beisela, one week. Next halacha. Tamidi chachamim could go away from home to learn Torah for up to 30 days, even without spousal permission. Workers, Paulim, could go away from home for up to one week without spousal permission. Okay, now part three of the Mishnah. Ha'ona ha'amura batorah. We will say, what is the basic level of what we we'll call conjugal frequency? Right? How often is a husband obligated, obligated to be intimate with his wife? So the Gemara says, Hatayolim b'cholyom. Tayolim are obligated every day. Now we don't know what tayolim are. We'll see that. We'll see that in the Gemara. Paulim. Paulim is, is kind of a very generic term that just means workers. Hapolim shtayim b'shabes. Paulim are obligated twice a week. Twice a week. Hachamorim donkey drivers. Achos b'shabes once a week. Hagamolim camel drivers. Achos l'shloshim yom once every thirty days. Yeah, both say. As we're going to see, a lot of this, in other words, where do these numbers come from? A lot of it is based on, just like, for lack of a better term, like availability, right? In other words, so what you begin to see is whoever these tayalim are, they're always around, right? The paalim, a little bit less, a little bit less. The donkey drivers, the gamalim, a little bit less. That's why, again, once every 30 days. The camel drivers, I'm sorry, the, the donkey drivers are once a week. The camel drivers, even less, once every 30 days. Has saponim. Saponim are sailors. Sailors. Sailors achos l'achos l'shisha chadoshim. Once every six months. Then I both say, again, remember, this is talking, these number, these, these frequency is reflected that sailors were often away at sea for prolonged amounts of time. David Rabbi Eliezer. I both say, this is all the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. So really, really fascinating Mishnah. We're here, the Mishnah is outlining the obligation of Ona. And is saying to us that the obligation of Ona is very much linked and dependent on what the husband is doing for a living. Incredible. Bose, let's see the Gemara. So my time in the Beis Shammai. So Bose, remember again, let's start with the first part of the Mishnah. We're going to go methodically through the Mishnah. What was the first part of the Mishnah? First part of the Mishnah, husband makes a neder, prohibiting himself from being intimate with his wife. I will say, so again, remember, the problem with such a neder is it fundamentally erodes one of the, one of the important pillars of marriage. So the shayla is, how long could we have such a neder in existence before we force the dissolution of the marriage? Again, let's go through the machlokas. Beishamai, two weeks. Beisilo, one week. What's the logic? Says the Gimara, my time in the Beishamai, what's Beishamai's logic? So gamri miyoledes nekeva. So Beishamai learns this out from the case of Yoledes and Kei Rabo Sai. This is actually very interesting. If when a woman gives birth to a girl, Midda Oraisa, she is Timea. She's not permitted to be with her husband for two weeks after the birth. And I will say, and I remember again, we contemporarily have a totally different system because without getting into all the intricacies right now, what we have done in, in contemporary halacha is blended the halachos of Nida and Zava Gidola. So like, for example, Midda Oraisa, a woman who's in Nida, so Nida lasts for how long, Midda Oraisa? Seven days. Seven days. And by the way, there's no clean days, bleeding days. It's, it's seven in totality. 
And after seven days, I'm going to go to the mikvah. That's it. We have this system of five days and then seven clean days. It's a, it's a combination of Zava Gidol that got wrapped into this. So Midaraisa over here, woman gives birth to a girl. For 14 days after she gives birth to a girl, she's not permitted to be, she's Tmeo. She's not permitted to be with her husband. So Bishama sees from that like a paradigm. That it's normal, it's acceptable for a couple not to be intimate for 14 days. In other words, that, that, that's called a normative duration. Therefore, the husband's nether could extend for up to 14 days. One second. There's the case of when a woman gives birth to a boy. What's the lachan woman gives birth to a boy? She's to for how long? Seven days. Seven days, right? Therefore, again, Basila will say that one week, seven days is, 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 the, is the maximum duration. So we'll say, that doesn't make any sense. If you're, if you're going to learn it out from a woman who gives birth to a boy, you could just as easily learn it out from a woman who gives birth to a girl. In other words, both of those are biblically prescribed durations. So ultimately, the Torah itself says that a husband and wife are separate from each other, physically separate from each other, for 14, intimately separate from each other for 14 days. Right? So why, why are you choosing a boy, not a girl? So the Torah says, you're right. If Basila was in fact learning this out from Yoledes, he would be correct. They both say Basil doesn't learn it out from Yoledis. Where does Basil learn it out from? Nida. They both say, that's what I just mentioned before. What is the biblical duration of Nida? One week, seven days. So therefore, Basil says that seven days is an acceptable duration in which husband and wife are separate from each other. So both say, what, what comes out is something really very interesting here. That Halacha Lamaisa, Beishamai is looking at, we're trying to figure out, so just, just not, so we're trying to figure out, husband's making a nether, saying that I'm not going to be intimate with my wife. So we're trying to figure out, what's the maximum duration of that nether that's acceptable? In other words, to be clear, the nether is never acceptable. What we're asking is, what's the maximum duration before we force the dissolution of the marriage? Mm-hmm. That's the machlokis. So Beishamai will say, look, we have, we have a halacha that says husband and wife are physically, are, 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 are intimately separate, after the birth of a girl for two weeks. We have such a concept like that. So two weeks is the maximum. Basil says, no, don't learn it out from me. Let us learn it out from Nida. Nida seven days. So what are they arguing about? This is very interesting. So Basil holds, you should learn out a common occurrence from a common occurrence. They both say, this is incredible. Rashi says, what's the common occurrence? Common occurrence is that a husband gets angry and makes a nether like this, which is a sad statement, right? But Basil is saying, this is a common thing. Husband gets angry, makes a nether prohibiting himself from getting any benefits from his wife. So that's common. What else is common? Nida is common. So therefore, again, Basil says, learn out a common occurrence from a common occurrence. Umar Sabar, midi duhu midi duhu says, learn out a situation that he causes from a situation that he causes. Meaning what? So he's causing the nether. Learn it out from childbirth, which obviously only occurs if the husband is involved. Right, so that's okay. So you learn it in different ways. Furthermore, Rav comes along and says the machlokes between Beisil and Beishamai is only when the husband explicitly articulates the duration of the neder. say, let's say he makes a neder and doesn't give a duration. Right, so he goes there and he says, I hereby prohibit myself from being intimate to my, with my wife, and he doesn't give a duration of the neder. So what's the halacha? Rav says. He has to divorce her immediately and pay her out her folk suva. 
So the Gemara says, Shmuel Amar Shmuel says, No, no, no. Afilu b'stam nami yamtin shema yimatze pesach lenidro. Shmuel says, No, no, no. He doesn't have to divorce immediately. We give him some time because let's see, maybe he'll find the pesach. I will say pesach means an opening that would allow for annulment of the neder. So the Gemara says, "How pligi bachadizim?" No, we already had this machlokes once. Rabbi Shmuel, this nine. Here we go. Hamadris ishtomi lehanuslow. If a man makes a general neder prohibiting his wife to get benefit from him, we both say this is not in the realm of intimacy. This is stam. Man makes neder prohibiting his wife from getting from from getting benefit from him. So yamtin shema yimotze pesach. I'm sorry. Ad shloshim yom yamit parnes. So we both say up until thirty days. Up until thirty days, the net doesn't cause the dissolution of the marriage. He has to support her through a third party. In other words, she can't get benefit from him, but he could give a third party the resources, and the third party ultimately could support the wife. Yosemikan, more than 30 days, Yotzi He has to divorce her and ultimately again pay her out her ksuva. That's only true ultimately again if he explicitly articulates the duration of the neder. But if he doesn't explicitly articulate the duration of the neder, Yotzi la'alter ksuva. He has to divorce her immediately and pay her a ksuba. Both say, that's Rav. Ushmuel or Shmuel says, no. Afilu b'stam nami yamtin shema yimatze pesach lenidro. Even stam, he doesn't have to divorce her immediately. Why? Maybe he'll find the pesach, an opening to another the nether. So both say, the point where the Gemara says is, this machlokis Rav or Shmuel has already been recorded once before. Why does that have to be stated a second time? Very simple. Tzricha. Di'it mar baha. If we would have just said that case, baha kama Rav mishum dolo efsher beparnes. So both say, remember again, in the case where a husband goes ahead and makes a nether, not allowing himself to be intimate with his wife, obviously, that intimacy cannot be provided by a third party, right? That would be, a, there's no third party provider for intimacy, right? That would be a little bit of an issue. So I'll say, so again, because of that type of situation, therefore, that's perhaps where Rav says that he has to divorce her immediately when there is no duration attached to the nether. But in the case of support, where ultimately, again, it can be provided through a third party, ultimately, maybe he agrees with Shmuel. And if I would have just said the second case, it's only in this case that Shmuel says his opinion. But in the other case, where I thought he's modded to Rav, therefore it's Rikha. Even though, again, the Machlokas is the same between Rav and Shmuel, nevertheless, it needed to be explicitly articulated in both cases. Incredible. But I'll say, let us go right there. Let us go right there. So for, first of all, just the way the Rabban Paskins in this case is that we pass by Basilal, namely again, the, if a husband makes a nether prohibiting any benefit, physical benefit or, or intimate benefit with his wife, ultimately again, if the nether is a duration of a week, we let it pass. But if it's more than a week, ultimately again, we would force the husband to go ahead and divorce her and give her her ksuba. Incredible. Says the Gemara, let's go back to Talmud the Talmud. So the next part of the Mishnah was, Talmud could go ahead and leave home for up to 30 days without spousal permission to go and learn Torah in another city. Birshus Kama. So we'll say, what happens if a husband gets, gets permission? This husband gets permission, right? He asks his wife, I want to go learn Torah in a faraway city. How long can he leave for? So the Gemara says, Kama Dabai. What do you mean? If he gets permission, so he could go as long as he wants, as long as he has permission for. Top of Samach Bez, Rabbi Say. This is actually incredible. Orcha Demil Sakama. Rabbi what the Gemara is asking is, what's appropriate? What's appropriate? Rabbi Say, by the way, this is also something interesting. 
that sometimes in marriage you get permission for something, right? But just because you get permission doesn't mean it's a good idea. So if I was say, it's such an incredible use. Some things don't change in the, in the, in the world. I would say, so interesting enough, the Gemara is saying, so if you get permission, you go along for even a longer, a longer amount of time. Okay, but what's the maximum amount of time that it's appropriate to be away? To which the Gemara says, Amarav, Chodesh, Kanda, Chodesh, Rabais. Rav says, at most, you could go away for a month and be home for a month. Right? So you go, could be a home away for a home, away for a month, home for a month. Shinem, I was raised this from. The Chodvar HaMachlokes Haba Abayot says, Chodesh B'Chodesh, L'Kol Chod Sheyashana. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, Chodesh Khan Ushnayim Bebeso. Rabbi Yochanan says, you can go away for a month as long as you're home two months afterwards. Shinem, I Chodesh Yu Balavanon, Shnayim Chadoshim Bebeso. So I will say, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, the, these psukim that are being quoted over here are the workers by the Beis HaMikdash. When Shlom Melech commissioned the workers for the Beis HaMikdash, he needed a massive workforce. So it's interesting. So the first part of the Pasuk seems to indicate that what? First part of the Pasuk seems to indicate that the workers were away for one month working, were home for a month. Second part of the Pasuk seems to indicate that they were working for, away from home for one month, home for two months. The Rav Nami, my time alone, Amr Me'ahi. So why doesn't Rav learn from Yochanan's Pasuk? To which the Gemara says, shiny binyan beis hamikdash. I'm sorry, well, I'm sorry, I said that, that, that was incorrect. The first Pasuk, excuse me, the first Pasuk ultimately again, um, no, no, that is correct. Right, the first, Rav is quoting his Pasuk from Divrei Yamim, and Rabbi Yochanan is quoting his Pasuk from Malachim Aleph. So why doesn't Rav go ahead and learn from Rabbi Yochanan? Shiny binyan beis hamikdash de'efshar al yideachirim. I both say this is incredible. Rabbi Yochanan's Pasek, I should say it a little bit differently. The first Pasek is talking about those who served in the general service of the king. The set, that's, that's, that's Rav's Pasek. Rabbi Yochanan's Pasek, where it's one month home, two months away. I'm sorry, sorry. Chodesh um, Sorry, one month away, two months home, just the opposite. He's talking about the building of the Beis HaMikdash. So the Gemara says, why doesn't Rav learn after Rabbi Yochanan's Pasek? Shiny binyan of Beis HaMikdash is different. Why? Because Rav will say, again, Rav will say like this. When it came to the building of the Beis HaMikdash, you could be away from home for one month, right? And home for two months. Why? Because the Beis HaMikdash has to get built. It needs a workforce. Does it need you? Does it need you? No. No. Therefore, if you're going to be away from home for a month, appropriate to be away from home for two months afterwards. But Rav will say, listen to this. Contrast that with the learning of Torah. I also said, only you could learn your Torah. No one else could learn your Torah on your behalf. In other words, the base of has to get built. Whether you build it, whether I build it, doesn't really make a difference. The ikar is that it just has to get built. When it comes to Talmud Torah, however, again, halacha lemaisa, you have to learn your Torah, I have to learn my Torah. I can't fulfill your obligation, you can't fulfill my obligation. That's why Rav holds that when it comes to Talmud Torah, one month at home, or I should say one month away, one month at home. When it comes to Binyan Beis HaMikdash, it's one month away, two months at home. Because Lamaise, if you spend an extra month at home, that's fine. The, ro- the workforce rotates. Such an incredible yisod. Rabbi Yochanan, so we'll say, the, the deeper message is, when it comes to matters of your own ruchnius, you cannot outsource that. Only you could take care of your ruchnius. No one else can ever say, and this is so incredibly important because, you know, 
We live in an age where everyone wants to be inspired. The mistake we often make when it comes to inspiration is we assume that it is someone else's responsibility to inspire us. Right? We outsource inspiration. We outsource spiritual success. No one has responsibility for your inspiration except for you. Are there people who could help maybe, you know, kindle a spark? Of course, we all need someone to kindle a spark. But La Maisa, inspiration is not something you glean from someone else. Inspiration is something that you create inside of you. Your Torah, your Ruchnius, your spirituality is something that could only be handled and ultimately mastered by you and you alone. Such an incredible use of Rabbi Yochanan, my Tabi Why doesn't Rabbi Yochanan learn that from the same source as Rav? So he says, Shiny Hasam. The Islehar Bakr was different, Abosai, because Rav's Pasuk was talking about those who worked for the king. So Abosai, when you worked for the king, you made a lot of money. You made a lot of money. So if Abosai, because you had the opportunity to make a lot of money, so ultimately, again, it was okay to be away for two months. It was okay to be away for two months. So Abosai, we learned a very important... So, so we'll, we'll see more about that in just a moment. So therefore, that's not really... That's not good. That doesn't create a paradigm. So in other words... Rabbi Yochanan will say the paradigm ultimately is if you're going to be away for one month, then ultimately again, be home for two months afterwards. I, what about the workers of the king who are one month home, one month away? They're making a lot of money. They're making a lot of money. So because they're making a lot of money, therefore again, their wives were a little bit more accepting that Allah said they were, they were away for more prolonged or more regular amounts of time. Amarath, so we'll say incredible Gemara. Anocha shoveres chati goshal. And I will say, so I just want to point out over here, we're going to have a lot of different topics, some beautiful agarita. The linkage are, are the people who are being quoted. We just quoted Rav before, we're quoting Rav again now. So I'm a Rav. Rav says, Anocha shoveres chati goshal adam. And I will say, Anocha is literally sighing. Sighing. Right? Huh. A krechts, right? And Anocha sigh literally has the ability to break half a person's body. Right? So we'll see what this means. Shenem, arve ato ben adam ha'anach b'shivron masnaim u'bimerirus ta'anach. So we'll say, the Imar is quoting the Pasek. Quote the Pasek from Yechezkel. And you, ben adam, this is Hashem speaking to Yechezkel. You, ben adam, ha'anach b'shivron masnaim, which literally means when you sigh, it'll break you to the loins. The loins are ha- midpoint of the body. Midpoint of the body. So you see from here that sighing, sighing, breaks half a person's body. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, no, sighing has the ability to break a person's entire body. Excuse me. So here, the Pasuk over here that they're quoting, also from Michael, seems to indicate that a sign has the ability to remove all of the strength of a person. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yochanan, Nami Masnaim. Rabbi Yochanan, what do you do with Rav's Pasek that says that ultimately sighing only breaks half of the body? maschala. It means that when a person sighs, they begin to lose kalach from the midpoint of their body and it spreads out from there. So the Gemara says, Nami I, Rav, what do you do with the Pasuk of Rabbi Yochanan? That says that sign breaks the entire body. It's different. That sign that Rabbi Yochanan's Pasuk is referring to is a sign, a sadness over the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And a sign over the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, Rabbi Yochanan, has the ability to literally deprive a person of all their kach. Rabbi Yochanan, 
What does it mean when the Gemara says, here, so we have a machlokas, right? The sighing, the sighing, sap you of half of your vitality or all of your vitality. They will say, what's a sigh? What's a sigh? What, what, what does that mean? Rabbi Nachman says something so beautiful. He says, anocha, a sigh, is a sign of yeosh, is a sign of despair. When a person gives up hope. So Rabbi says, it's a fundamental machlokas. When you give up hope, when you give up hope, how much of your life of vitality does that deprive you of? So Rav says, Rav says, not, ever, not all of your vitality, but half of your vitality. Rabbi Yochanan says, when you're miyayish, when you sign, sign is the ultimate sign of Yish, the ultimate sign of giving a hope, you lose all of your vitality. But we'll say, such an incredible yisod, that what Rabbi and Rabbi Yochanan are agreeing on is when you give up hope on yourself, when you're right, then ultimately understand you're pulling the rug out from under you. See, we often think that it's other people who, who sap of, us, our, of our vitality. It's other people who undermine us. Other people who pull the rug out from us. And it's not true. Other people may try, but the only person who can be absolutely successful in undermining your future dynamic activity is you and you alone. That's the anocha. That sigh represents a giving up on oneself, a giving up on life. And when you give up on life, when you sigh on yourself, Rav, Rabbi Yochan, okay, they argue on differing degrees on how down and out you may be. But Lamai said that krechs, that sigh of Yeosh is the most dangerous thing that a person could encounter in life. Such an incredible. So I will say, Rabbi Nachman speaks extensively about this concept that people think the worst thing you could do in life is an Avera. He says that's true, but the worst Avera, but the worst Avera a person could commit is Yeosh. Is Yeosh, is when a person gives up on themselves. The moment you give up on yourself, that's the worst Avera. Because when you give up on yourself, anything and everything becomes possible afterwards. That's the Anacha, that's the side that the Gemara is referring to over here. So we'll say, the Gemara tells an incredible story. Listen to this. We'll say, there was once a Jew and an idolater who were traveling together on the road. So, so the Ovi Kochavim was unable to catch up. He was unable to keep up, I should say, with the Jew. The Jew was walking really fast, and ultimately the Akum could not go ahead and keep up with him. So I said, what did the Akum do? This is a smart Akum. Ultimately, the Akum began to speak about the destruction of Beis HaMikdash. So I say, hoping that what's going to happen, the Jew is going to sigh. Right? And sighing again saps you of some of your vitality, and the Akum would be able to go ahead and catch up with him. So, Nugget, right? So, what happened? The Jew heard it, he remembered, and ultimately he sighed. But still, the Jew didn't slow down his pace. The Jew didn't slow down his pace, and ultimately, again, the Ovid Kochavim could not keep up. So, the Akum says, I don't understand. I learned Ksuvistaf Samich Bezim and Alif. Lav Amrisa. So the Akum says to the Jew, I don't understand. The Gemara says that sighing saps a person of half of their vitality. Amrale, the Jew says, it was as incredible. That's true when you sigh over something new. When you sigh over something new, in other words, I will say, here the Anocha is used as a sigh of sadness. When does sadness sap one of their vitality? When I'm sad over some type of new event. But the Chorban Beis HaMikdash, unfortunately, as sad as it is, is old news. 
And because it's old news, ultimately, again, it doesn't sap a person of their vitality. To which the Gemara says, that, by the way, it's such an, incredible, such an incredible idea. So there's two pieces over here. We were talking about Anocha sighing, ultimately, again, as a form of yeosh, as a form of despair. Here the Gemara is talking about sighing as a form of sadness. And you see over here also the incredible way that sadness depletes a person also. Right? Sadness, sadness depletes you of your koach. But the Gemara says it's only new sadness. Only new sadness. Old sadness ultimately doesn't deplete the person. The Gemara says, The Amri Inish, the Malfi Tichli Lo Bahasa. Was well, a very interesting expression. Look at Rashi, right across in Rashi. The Milfa Tichli Lo Bahasa, Isha Halimudes, Lishakel Banel, the Kovram. This is actually a heartbreaking statement. A woman who is used to burying her children does not become overwhelmed at the death of another one of her children. So I will say, what the expression is, it's actually something very profound. You know, when a person has encountered grief, they are prepared to deal with future grief. Right? Often you see this, you see this, that, that, that people, sometimes when people are encounter grief for the first time, they're overwhelmed and they could lose themselves in that grief. A person who's experienced grief in life has the tools to deal with that grief, hopefully, and therefore does not become overwhelmed or really swallowed up by that grief. So therefore the Gemara says over here, so the, the Jew is saying back to the Akum, at the end of the day, of course, is it sad that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, of course, but that's old grief. That's old grief, and we've already again developed the tools to be able to properly deal with that. But I say so much to say on these gemaras, but but we'll go weiter. So the gemara goes weiter. Tayalim b'cholyom, hatayalim b'cholyom. So I say so. Remember again, tayalim have an obligation of physical intimacy with their wives every day. So my tayalim, who who are tayalim? Amar Raba bnei pirki. So that's very interesting. Raba says. Bnei Pirkei Rashi says, Bnei Pirkim, Tamidim Sharav Matzoy Lahem Biran, Vishonim Prakim Uvulanim Bebesam. These are Tamidi Chachamim who learn locally. They learn locally. So because they're not traveling, right? Or because they're not traveling, and therefore they're living at home, therefore they have an obligation of physical intimacy every day. So the Gemara says, interestingly enough, Amrali Abayi Mandik Sibbu, Shavla Chemash Kimekom. So we'll say the Gemara quotes the pasuk from Tilm. Actually, a very beautiful, very beautiful pasuk. Literally, again, right? So literally, again, emptiness or woe to you, those who get up. Those who go and eat the bread of sadness, he will give sleep to his beloved. Who is this pasuk referring to? We'll say actually very profound. So this refers to the wives of Talmidi Chachamim. Because the wives of Talmidi Chachamim ultimately often have sleepless nights. Why do they have sleepless nights? Because again, their husbands often are home, not home, excuse me, are learning late or occupied with the needs of the community until late. So often, again, they do not have the companionship of their husbands in the evening. And as a result of that, they often have sleepless nights. But whatever they lose out in Olam Azan, they make up in Olam Haba. Now, both said, here's what's interesting. Slimar seems to indicate that Tamidi Chachamim are not home every single night, right? In other words, they're learning late until the evening or occupied with other matters late until the evening. So obviously, Tayolim can't be Tamidi Chachamim. Va'at Amrit B'nei Pirki, Al Amrabaye Kidrav. 
Da'amar Rav Kigon Rav Shmuel Bar Shilas. What's an example of Tayolin? What's very interesting? A good example of Tayolin is like Rav Shmuel Bar Shilas. Now, I say, what was unique of Rav Shmuel Bar Shilas? Rashi says over here, Melami Tinokos Haya, Umisparnes Mehen. I will say, Rav Shmuel Bar Shilas was a Melami Tinokos. He was a Rebbe. He was a Rebbe in the Cheder, right? A Rebbe, a Rebbe of children. A Rebbe of children. I will say, that's such a profound Gemara. Rav Shmuel Bar Shilas, Da'acha Midideh, he ate of his own food. He drank of his own drink. And lived in his own home. And the king's tax collector never went ahead and passed by his gate. So we'll say, now, what is this talking about? Rav Shilas was just a guy who made a snack guy. He was important. He just made a simple living. He made a living, right? He supported himself and his family. Wasn't wealthy. Wasn't financially successful. The king's tax collector never stopped by his house. Why? Because he wasn't on the radar. He just wasn't on the radar. He was just a regular guy. So I both say, a guy like this, it's so profound, right? A guy like this, he just lived a nice, quiet life. I both say, by the way, sounds great. It's like one of those days when you see the guy cutting the grass, and you're like, wow, I want to be that guy. I just want to sit on the tractor a whole day, right, with my earphones on, and just whatever, and go home, come, do my job, Go home at night, drink a beer or seven, right? And that's and that's it, right? And that's it. Like that's that's like so I was like Lahabdil, Lahabdil, that's of Shulbashilas. Again, Lahabdil in Dvarm Shevik Dusha, he was a Rebbe. He went to work, he taught his Talmudin, he made enough money to, to support his family. That's it. He came home. That's an example of Tayali. Someone ultimately again who Halacha Lamaisa just kind of he's he's around. He's around. Incredible. So, so Rabin said it could also be a reference to means the fastidious ones of Eretz Yisrael. A mifunak, a mifunak is someone who is very pampered. Someone's very pampered. Someone who's very, 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 um, what's the word? Like, not meticulous, but very, um, yeah, fastidious, right? But, you know, someone, someone who's very, very pampered. So such an individual like that. Those are the Tayalin. So they're, they're always home. They're home. They're comfortable. Such a person like that has a chi of ona every single day. Rabbi Avo Havakai Beibani. Those listen to this. Rabbi Avo was in the bathhouse. Havi Samchile Tre Avdi. And there were two servants who were supporting him. Ifchas Beibani. The floor of the bathhouse opened up. Opened up under him. So me to say. Israeli Amul. They're supposed to listen to this. There was, a, he found himself, he found himself on a pillar, on a pillar. So we'll say, so again, just to understand the way, this is Rabbi Avo. We'll say, just the, ba- the way bathhouses were constructed is that often again, they were built, there was a heat, there was, there was, there was, there was what do they call it? The floorboard, floor, under, under floor heating, floorboard heating, right? radiant heating, whatever. The, so the idea of this, so for the bathhouse, they would have a fire underneath the floor. Here, the bathhouse, the floor gave way. Gave way. That was the interest of Rabbi Avo found himself balanced on a pillar. And what did he do? So we'll say ultimately he pulled himself up and he pulled the two servants up as well. Okay. Rabbi Yochanan was walking up the steps. He was being supported by Rabbi Asi. Ifchisa darga to say the stair gave out from under him salik vaskinhu so I'll say so everybody fell so ultimately in this case Rabbi Ami sorry um, Rabbi Yochanan held the other two rabbanim and pulled them up so I'll say in both of these stories 
the person being supported by the other two, right, exhibited a dramatic amount of strength and pulled the other two up. So listen to this. So we'll say at the end of the day, so they said to both of these Rabbanim, if you're so strong, obviously you have such physical vitality, you're so strong, why do you need these people to support you? It's a great answer. If I don't conserve my strength now, what will I have in my old age? Right? If I don't conserve my vitality for now, what will I have in my old age? I will say what I will point out is what may be true for physical vitality is unequivocally false for spiritual vitality. There is no such thing as conservation of energy by spirituality. Right? When it comes to Ruch Nisra Wosai, it's full in, all on, all the time. In other words, Wosai, you don't have to conserve. Because when it comes to Ruchnius, when it comes to physical vitality, it might be that there's a limited pool. That's definitely possible. When it comes to spiritual energy, there is an inexhaustible supply. So use and use and use and do more and more and never worry about depleting your spiritual resources. Workers have an obligation of owner twice a week. So we learn elsewhere that Paul are only obligated once a week. Okay, here's the fundamental distinction. It depends where the Poland work. If they work ultimately again in their own city where they live, twice a week, they only live, they work in a different city once a week. Once a week. That supports this. Paulim are obligated to engage in physical intimacy twice a week. When is this so? If they work locally, but if they go ahead and they work in a different city, they're only obligated once a week. Donkey drivers are obligated once a week. So I'll say, here's what's interesting. So remember, again, if you go back to the beginning of the Mishnah, about the duration of a nedah prohibiting intimacy. So I'll say, interestingly enough, the Gemara says, I don't understand. Is that entire machlok is only here to teach us ta'alochas regarding ta'yolan and polim? Because remember, again, once you get past the ta'yolan and polim, everyone has a less frequent obligation of ona. So whether they make a nether for one week or two weeks, it's not going to impact them at all. So it is that entire part of the Mishnah, first part of the Mishnah, just there to teach us about the title of the poem. Amr lo, Amr Bezer will say, Amr lo, Akulu, Akulu, ultimately again, is coming to teach us about everyone. What does this mean? I will say now, this is incredible. The, the machlokes, so the machlokes, the team Beisila and Beishamai, applies to all the different cases. We'll say, meaning what? It applies to all, meaning what? So we'll say, let's play this out for just a moment. Let, 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 let's, now let's bring the two parts of the Mishnah together. So we'll say, let's take the case of a sailor, right? A sa- what's, what's the owner of a sailor? What's the owner? What's the owner? Once every six months. And we'll say, what's that locha if a sailor makes a nether? And he says, and he says, I hereby prohibit myself from being intimate with my wife for three weeks. For three weeks. So we'll say, in that case, everyone would agree that what? That what? He has to divorce his wife. Such a marriage is not sustainable. And he has to marry Ksuva. But one second. His owner to begin with was only once every six months. That's the nature of his profession. So why would a three-week neder cause the obligation to dissolve the marriage in path of Ksuva? So it is incredible. Why? So I will say this is such a profound Gemara. You cannot compare someone who has bread in their basket 
to someone who does not have bread in their back. This, in other words, we'll say, this is the this expression of course is by Rashi's Le'inian Tainus. On a fast day, right, they will say, so again, if a person is fasting, and they know that whenever they want, the food is on the table. Whenever, whenever, whenever you have to, the food is on the table. So, so everyone knows. So that gives a person the koach to continue to fast. Whereas if a person is fasting and there's no food available at all, at all, so suddenly again it becomes a In other words, the knowledge that something is available to me, even if I'm not, even if I'm not going to avail myself of it, is much easier to bear than knowing that the item is not available to me at all. So this is incredibly profound. So a sailor's wife, a sailor's wife, she knows that her husband is gone for protracted periods of time. But let's say for some reason, unexpectedly, he comes home. He comes home. So she knows that if for some reason he's granted, you know, shore leave and he's able to come home, that they could be together. Masha'inki, if there's a neder, right, if there's a neder, precluding that from occurring, so suddenly, again, it becomes a much more intense and difficult situation. So even, even for the sailor, even for the sailor, whose owner ultimately, again, is limited to once every six months, halakha a neder would still be problematic by him as well, which is really quite a profound idea. So the Gemara it was a very interesting case. What happens, what happens if a person is a chamer, a donkey driver, and then he becomes a camel driver? This is an interesting shayla. Can you switch professions? Because remember again, the owner, the owner for a donkey driver is how often? Once a week, right? For a camel driver, once every 30 days. So is a husband allowed to switch professions or does he require the consent of his wife? Amrle wrote, it was his incredible Gemara, wrote to Isha betiflos prishus. I will say, so this is the expression. The expression is a woman would rather have less materialism and more of her husband than more money and less of her husband. So I will say, it happens to be like, like it's, a, it's, a, it's a dramatic, it's a dramatic gemara that I will say that, that ultimately men would often rather have more money and less relationship. Women would rather have more relationship and less money. It's an incredible, incredible gemara. So I will say, so therefore what that tells you is that if a husband is going to make a change in profession and that change in profession is going to go ahead and require him to be away more often, Halach Lamaisi needs the rishus of his wife in order to go out and make that career change because it'll change the intimacy in their marriage as well. Incredible. Also, just, just like an incredible din in Shalom Bayis that, that sometimes, you know, so often, so often, Shalom Bayis problems occur only because a spouse is not attentive enough. In other words, nothing, gifts or je- Nothing replaces the presence of a spouse. Nothing, and sometimes again, what we don't realize, especially I will say in today's day and age, where you know we're always on our phone, we're always this. You could be physically somewhere, but yet you're totally not emotionally present. Totally not emotionally present. So a person could be spending time with their wife, but you're on your phone your whole, the whole time. But I'm here. But I'm here. You're not there. You're not there. If you're on your phone, you're not present. If you're on your computer, you're not present. You could be physically in the same room, but ultimately, again, if you're on something else, you're not present in the relationship. And Halakha Maisa, the Gemara says that what a wife often needs more than anything from her husband is presence. I need to know that you're there. And that is often more important than any type of monetary accomplishment he could gain. Incredible. So Mar goes weiter. Sailors, once every six months, once every six months, 
Amr Abrona Amr Ab Halacha Krabi Eliezer. Talacha Halacha Eliezer. Amr Abadar Abba Amr Ab Zidi Rabbi Eliezer. Abba Chachamim Omrim Hatamidim Yosan Talmud Torah. Beis the Gimel Shalom Shalom Bisha. So also Rabbi Eliezer was one who said in the Mishnah that Talmidim Chacham could leave up to thirty days without spousal permission. The Chacham disagreed. The Chacham said Talmidim Chachamim could even leave for up to two to three years without spousal permission to learn Torah. Amr Rabba. So Rav says, listen to this. They rely on Rav Adabar Abba. Rav Adabar Abba was the one who said that to leave for even up to two or three years. But just know that if you do that, if you do that, you're taking a risk with your own life. Taking a risk with your own life, leaving home, for such protracted amounts of time. And Rabbi said, what does it mean you're taking your life into your own hands? Rabbi said, it's an incredible Gemara. Rav Rachumi used to learn in the yeshiva of Rava. In Mechuzah, So Rabbi said, he, he stayed away, in other words, he stayed away. He learned away from home. He learned in Mechuzah the entire year. When would he come home? When would he come home? He would come Erev Yom Kippur. And Rapashus, he was still through Sukkis. Bein Azmanim, he was still through Sukkis. Okay. Well, say, watch this. Yom Achad Meshachte Shmaisa. One day, one day, ultimately, Erev Yom Kippur, he got caught up in his learning and he, he lost track of the time. Have a de Visu. So I will say, watch, imagine the scene. His wife, his wife, expecting her husband home at Erev Yom Kippur, is waiting outside. Is waiting outside. A Masachi de Visu. She's waiting outside for him. Hashta asi, hashta asi. And she's saying to himself, I know, she's saying to herself, he'll be home any minute, he'll be home any minute. Lo asa. He didn't come home. Chalash daita. She became very sad. Achis dim asa me'ina. And she shed a tear. So the Imara says, At that point, Rav Rahumi was sitting in the attic. If his Igra say the floor gave way from under him, benach nafshe, and he died. And he died. It will say, why did he die? Why did he die? For the sin of causing his wife to cry. Now, I will say, you say to yourself, it's totally counterintuitive, right? Lamai says, she was sad that he didn't come home. So what's the punishment that she was sad that he didn't come home? Now he's dead. So I will say, so remember again, what's unfolding over here is that Rav Rahumi was responsible for causing pain to his wife. Causing pain to any Jew is, is, is a terrible, terrible thing. Causing one's wife to cry. And said, this is halacha lamaisa, this is gimara. This is Torah that we live by. Causing one's wife to cry is an unforgivable transgression. Right? One's wife is, 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 is the most important. A husband has an obligation to make his wife feel safe, to make his wife feel secure, to make his wife feel beloved, to make his wife feel like she is the center of his universe. And causing one's wife to shed a tear, the Gemara says, is one of the worst infractions a person could commit. To the point that Rav Rahumi, who was clearly a great Talmud Chacham, <coughs> lost his life over having his wife, over having caused his wife shed a tear. So the Gemara goes right there. Well, so you know that you'll have to stop it for today. Don't worry, we are right, we are right on schedule. We are fine in Yerat Hashem. We'll, we'll catch up. Tomorrow's a short adapt. We'll catch that. We'll say, by the way, we'll say tomorrow is coming attractions, coming attractions, and it's Kedai. Kedai, we're going to start at 5.50 a.m. tomorrow morning. We're going to start, but we'll start, we'll start Gemara at 5.50. We're going to, we're going to do, we're going to do the um, dedications at 5.48, because Baruch Hashem, they are growing a little bit longer. We're going to do dedications at 5.48. Shir's going to start promptly at 5.50. And we'll say tomorrow, Rabbi Akiva. The story of Rabbi Akiva, we'll say. Shkoyach. All right, everyone, Zoom, have a great day, everyone.